You are listening to Seattle Sports Saturday with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Task at hand is simple. Seattle wins tomorrow. Keep first place. They remain near the very top of the NFC. Don't have to worry about what the Cardinals do. You just keep on keeping on. And that's all you got to worry about. But if there is a loss tomorrow, then things get pretty hairy, not just with the Seahawks, but the rest of the NFC West, the rest of the NFC playoff picture. And that's what you don't want. But what you do want is to continue with us here from 10 a.m. to noon here on 710 ESPN Seattle. This is Seattle Sports Saturday. He is Taylor Jacobs. I'm Curtis Rogers. Taylor, this Rams team is one that is so different from what we've seen over the last three or four years with Sean McVay and with Todd Gurley and all those guys, Brandon Cooks and Dominican Sue, that those guys, I mean, Sean McVay is obviously still there, but the rest of the notable names gone. And yet somehow the Rams very competitive this season. In fact, they could potentially be in first place at the end of Sunday. If things break their way, when you look at this Rams ball club, I mean, what jumps out to you here in 2020 about them? That that D-line, Curtis, that D-line still frightens me. And boy, oh boy, I just think about, <clears throat> I, I, I have nightmares, rather, about Aaron Donald and what he can do. And they have had the Seahawks number defensively for quite some time. And Sean McVay has been able to put points up on the board, even against good defensive units here in Seattle. So to me... You know, even a few weeks ago, this game was scary to me. It felt like a, it should have been played yesterday almost on a Friday the 13th. It's that type of frightening level. Um, and the injury report does not help calm those nerves, which we'll get into a little bit later. So this is it. But this is what you play for, right? Pete gets his guys up for these big games. If anyone can make the most out of this roster currently coaching in the NFL, I think it's Pete Carroll. So, look, you're going to have all the pieces on the board, but we're going to find out what this team looks like and where they sit in the conference and where they sit in the division a whole lot clearer come Monday morning. And we got a lot of clarity about the Seahawks, not from an on-field perspective heading in tomorrow, but just as where they stand organizationally because Pete Carroll getting that extension at the beginning of the week, which feels like a, a thousand years ago. Uh, like, yeah, he did get that extension. That, that did happen in this calendar week. Uh, just so much has happened since then. It, it feels like it was just kind of a footnote as to what everything was going on. But, yeah, Pete Carroll signed for five extra years. 2025 is when that contract will expire. Um, so, you know, love Pete or, or you don't love him. You're, you're, he's here for quite some time. And uh, the Seahawks, they take on the Rams tomorrow. Uh, we're going to get into all sorts of aspects of that game, uh, talking about what's at stake tomorrow because there's – a real big potential for some chaos if things don't break Seattle's way. Uh, and we'll get into that coming up at about 10:15 this morning. Also college football here on the West coast. It, you don't ever know if it's going to actually happen until it does happen. Uh, yep. A couple games getting post, a couple games getting canceled today. We'll look into just what the PAC 12 is doing right now. If they're doing anything about it. Uh, but 
Also a great week for the Mariners. We'll get into that, too, coming up at about 1045. So let's waste no more time. Get into this hour's Big Three. Number one. Well, Curtis, we just mentioned it, previewed it. We're thinking about it. We're worrying about it. We're stressing about it. Seahawks-Rams, crucial NFC West showdown. But injuries, again, could potentially play a big role here in Seattle. Ethan Posick, Shaquille Griffin, Quinton Dunbar, and Brian Monet all ruled out for the game against L.A. So they will not be suiting up against this Rams team. Some lighter news, depending on how things shake out. Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde, both listed as questionable. Both started to run this week, which usually is a positive sign for running backs when they're running in practice. But doesn't mean anything, right? All it means is that there are more running back questions and could be, lead to potential issues on Sunday if uh, no running backs get healthy. Um, but looking around the other parts of the roster or injury report, Alton Robinson, Freddie Swain, Penny Hart, and the surprise injury of the week, K.J. Wright rounded out. All questionable. Not as bad on the L.A. side. Terrell Lewis, Leonard Floyd, Brian Allen, the only players on that. And they're all questionable. So what will this mean for the game? We'll talk about that over the next few hours of the show. Number two. Tuesday, merely a formality, but it confirmed what we all knew was going to happen. Kyle Lewis officially voted the 2020 American League Rookie of the Year. Lewis becomes the fourth Mariner ever to be named Rookie of the Year, joining Alvin Davis in 1984, Kazuhiro Sasaki in 2000, and Ichiro in 2001. MGM Jerry DePoto, he joined 710 ESP in Seattle on Wednesday of this last week, and he gave an update on where the organization stands Heading into this offseason, DePoto said the pandemic set the Mariners back about a half season in their rebuild plan, but he said that kind of falls in line with most teams across baseball. DePoto also added he was surprised that Justice Sheffield, who had a really steady season, really solid season in his own right, he didn't receive more Rookie of the Year recognition and guessed it was because, well, many people may have forgotten he was still rookie eligible. Uh, you can listen to the full 15-minute conversation at 710sports.com. Coming up uh, around 1045 this morning, we're going to take a look at this Mariners rebuild and why we think this is different than years past. That's coming your way at 1045 this morning. Number three. Well, we don't talk soccer a whole lot on the, the airwaves here on 710, but got to announce this. Seattle Sounders, again, heading to the playoffs for a record-breaking 12th straight appearance. Going to be the number two seed in the Western Conference, just right behind Sporting Kansas City, and they'll face off against LAFC in that opening round. Some other Sounders news to get into here. Nico Ladero and Jordan Morris both on the short list of five which will be competing for the MLS MVP this season. So Sounders, good chance to bring home that award even before the playoffs get going. So Seattle and LA kick off 7.30, November 24th. So get your scarves ready. Get ready for another playoff run. And don't be surprised. Again, I mentioned it before, but Toronto, Seattle have met in the finals before. Both number two seeds in their respective conferences have a great shot to be playing each other. So keep an eye out for potentially another Seattle-Toronto MLS Cup. It would be wild. It would be unprecedented. It would be almost (laughs) Bills-esque as we hopefully take them down again in these consecutive finals. But we'll stay tuned. 
And uh, we'll keep you updated here on the Saturday show as we get more results. But you got some time. November 24th. That's when they uh, get their first game going. The only constant in 2020 would be a Seattle-Toronto MLS Cup final. That's the only thing that we can bank on. Yeah, you can bank on them getting to the playoffs. And then after that, it's pretty much Toronto or bust. (laughs) That is this hour's big three. Oh, yeah. We'll we'll gladly take another Seattle MLS Cup final. Uh, Getting kind of used to those. What's been three of the last four years already? It would Mm -hmm. be four of the last five. Don't mind it. Uh, some honorable mentions. Big, uh, big day of college football. Everybody in the state of Washington is is playing. Knock on wood. Uh, you you want to hope that that stays as we uh, get closer and closer to kickoff. Cougs taking on the Ducks. That's at four p.m. today. Pre-game show is going to begin at two o'clock right here on seven ten ESPN Seattle. And then in the nightcap from Husky Stadium, Beavers taking on the Huskies. Oregon State, Washington. That'll be eight p.m. Some pack. 12 way after dark because it gets dark around here at about four o'clock so uh it's gonna be very dark but the huskies with their first opportunity to play in 2020 uh really excited to see what that team is gonna look like here uh, tonight against the beavers the team that the kooks took down last week taylor watching the kooks last week and, and how they handled oregon state uh surprised at how it went or or did you think that this is kind of how it's going to be under uh, Nick Rolovich and Jaden Delora quarterback with them beating Oregon State? And I think maybe, you know, surprising people because a lot of people had the Cougs picked to finish about sixth in the North this year. Yeah, um, I, I was definitely surprised about, first of all, how competitive the game was, and especially Oregon State at the end, keeping that fight going. And I, you love to see that from teams you know have – and I hate to say this, but they, they, they would have less talent than some of the other teams towards the top of the Pac-12, right? But for the Cougs, I was pleasantly surprised about how balanced this team truly looked under Rolovich. And the a run offense, game. A run game, Curtis? Oh, my <laughs> gosh. I'm going to get emotional in here. It was, it was so refreshing to see what happened on the field. Now, I know he had some comments about COVID afterwards, and that's a whole probably another two-hour show we could do ourselves. But <laughs> on the field, Rolovich had these guys humming. They look great. It looks like, again, that balance on offense. Defensively, yes, they sort of gave up those points at the end of Oregon State, but it, I just it was a different feeling that I truly saw a, a team with potential to, to to build upon this season and to build upon these blocks. And you, you said it, Jaden Delora, true freshman, right? True freshman, winning on the road in his first start. Not bad. I mean, not bad, and, and you expect that to get better. You expect him to get more comfortable. You expect the the weapons around him to get more comfortable with him as well. And And look, it just feels different on the Palouse for the first time in some time. In my opinion, Coog fans, you know, chime in, 710-710, let me know how you feel. But to me, this just feels so refreshing, and it feels like this could be the start of something special in the Rolovich era. Maybe not this year. But there's still time. But there's still plenty of there's time. There's still time. Uh, yeah. yeah, so Coog... Cougs taking on the Ducks. You can catch that one here on 710 ESPN Seattle kickoff at 4 p.m. today. Uh, and then just quickly, 
this week, you, if you tuned in at all to 710, you knew we, we've undergone some drastic changes here. Uh, we'll, we'll dive into that more coming up during our shout-outs for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we just want to say thank you to our, our, our listeners. Thank you to everybody that uh, has sent in words of encouragement to us. As uh, you know, It was a pretty tough week here around the station and, and just you know being able to, to have this outlet. We're so blessed to have it. Um, and, and we know that we're fortunate and to, to continue to do this day after day, but, you know, we're thinking about, uh, a lot of our coworkers who, uh, you know, saw their time here end, and, uh, you know, we just want to wish them all the best. And yeah, we're during our shout outs, uh, we're definitely going to be able to expand on that a little bit more, but yeah, just uh shout out to them and, and shout out to you for, for continuing to stick with us here at 710 ESPN, because uh, we, we don't get to do this without you. No. And we, we know we're not u- unique to what's happening here in this country or even around the world, right? That jobs are, are being lost and, and COVID has a damage outside of being a virus itself. And, it, and it's damaging a lot of people's lives and, you know, it affects it affects all of us and, and whether you, you know someone who's gotten it or they've lost their job or they've been impacted, you know, somehow because of it, we all changed because of this. And, you know, we lost some teammates. And like you said, Curtis, we'll, we'll, we won't spend too much time. We'll, we'll shout them all out individually, but you know, even on this show, right, we've gone through changes since we spoke oh, yeah. at the beginning of the year. So, um, it just it is unfortunate. We all are hurting. We appreciate everyone for tuning in and supporting us and the kind words. And we'll all get through this together. Look, we have sports. It brings us together in the best ways possible. And through the sports, it's going to bring us together. So I look forward to us, again, coming back together in that process. Coming up in this hour, the Pac-12, what are we even doing there? But up next, what is at stake tomorrow between the Seahawks and Rams? There is plenty on the line. We'll get into all of that coming your way here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back in... Coming up in about 15 minutes, the Pac-12. I mean, is this even all worth it? Just the gymnastics that it's taking to get these games played each and every week. Teams not knowing who they're going to play as late as Friday morning on a Saturday is when game day is. We'll, We'll get into that coming up here in about 15 minutes on Seattle Sports Saturday. By the way, you can always join in on the conversation. 710-710 is the Vizzy Hard Seltzer text line. Uh, a lot of good stuff coming in. 360, they say tight ends are going to play a big role on Sunday just based off of probability. Not so much from them yet, so they're due. Okay, okay. yeah. The, I like the that. I'll group, take that. Yeah, we'll gladly take that. A big game from either Will Disley or Greg Olson. I think that's been that's that would be very helpful, uh, I think, for Seattle, especially if those short yard situations, the run game might not be going so hot. If you can get your tight ends involved, I think that would make it a little better in those third and twos, third and threes, third and four situations, uh, rather than you know having to dial it up and go deep or, or or give it to DJ Dallas, somebody that I don't think there's a 
ton of faith in right now, even though he hasn't done anything to, to you know, say, like, I'll get out of here. But, I mean, he's he's a rookie. You're not going to get a, a ton out of him. But if they can get those tight ends involved, Taylor, I think that could be a, a really big benefit for Seattle. Yeah, I think this texter nailed it right on the head. Because if you also think about it, the safety blanket, right? The check downs, if the defensive line is getting through and getting penetration on this offensive line and that push, check it down to the tight end. You know Greg Olson is sure-handed and and can fall forward. You know Will Disley is sure-handed and can fall forward. You know Jacob Hollister can do it too, right? Like You've seen it even at, at times throughout the season. This could be the game where they're truly where the offense leans on that position group because you know DK Metcalf has a big big matchup on the outside. Tyler Lockett, what can he do as well? Can he have a big game and, and help Russell Wilson in this offense sort of bounce back? A lot of a lot of questions and a lot at stake in this game on Sunday. Yeah, uh, huge huge. Uh you know, what's at stake? Seattle, if they lose on Sunday and Arizona beats the Bills, you're looking at a Seattle team that all of a sudden goes from first place to third place in the NFC West. Now, they wouldn't be out of the playoff picture uh, because the eighth place team right now would be the Bears, and they the best they could be is six and four. So Seattle would have a half game lead over the Bears uh, in the playoff picture. But you you go from first place to third place if you take the L. And not only that, but the Cardinals and Rams would hold the tiebreak over you currently, even though all three teams would be 6 and 3, which really means you're a game behind all those teams. So you got to finish with a better record than them at the end of the season, which adds a little bit more intrigue to the final half of the season here. And then there's, you know, you've got the Cardinals immediately after this game. If Seattle finds themselves 6-3 and three going into Arizona, or going into the Arizona game, I should say. They already played in Arizona. You know, there's a possibility that 6-4 and four could, could happen. It, it, it starts to pile up. Yeah, and then you're, you, the expectations in two weeks go from being – a top team in the NFC thinking about bye weeks to maybe we being a 10 win team and, and being, you know, a wild card team this year. And the expectations could drastically shift. And you're talking about four days, Sunday and then Thursday. There's not a lot of time between those. So by the next time we talk, we will know a lot more about the Seahawks team and what, what's going to be the expectation for the rest of the season. Because then you look at some of the games after that, right, Curtis? You have your, you know, the Washington Football Club or whatever they're calling them out there. and <laughs> The football team. Go team. The, as, as go team. Um, the roster, or pardon me, the schedule really eases up. And, yeah, the injuries are coming at an inconvenient time, but... This is it. This is go time. This is why they play the games. And this is the the most important stretch, maybe the most important week of this season for the Seahawks. So for Seahawks fans, it's time to really dial in because this could be a big boost forward too, right? We just talked about what happens if they lose and and if they're in third place and then they lose to the Cardinals. You're looking at that six and four. But what if they win Sunday and then win Thursday? Boy, oh boy, you're talking about who can stop this team in the NFC when they're healthy. 
You're talking about what AFC teams look like against this Seahawks team. I mean, the conversation drastically shifts, but got to play the games. You absolutely do. And you, you mentioned the upcoming schedule for Seattle. After that Arizona game, I believe it's at Philadelphia, and then they've got the Jets, Giants, Washington, all in a row. Uh, so it, it definitely eases up in terms of difficulty, which would give Seattle uh, a huge, huge advantage over L.A. and over Arizona heading into that section of the season. I, Seattle's last two games, I believe, are against San Francisco and L.A., if I'm if I'm yep. not mistaken. Uh, so there, there would be an increase in difficulty at the end of that because division games, as we know, are just so so tough to predict. Uh, if you can sweep a team in your division, I mean, that's that's an incredible accomplishment in its own right. Um, but this team right now, they're six and two. But it, does it feel like they're six and two? Because to me, that loss against Buffalo, that loss against Arizona, it, it almost feels like they might be a little bit worse than their record. They may have been taking advantage of, of a weaker NFC to start the season because I look at six and two and it, I, I think, you know, it kind of reminds me of that Mariners season a couple of years ago where they were winning, but they had a negative run differential uh, and it just it caught up with them in the end. I really hope that's not the case here. Uh, I, you know, the Seahawks have a great offense, but that defense Taylor uh, it's it's almost getting to a point where you just kind of accept it for what it is. Yeah, but again, is it getting better? Are they getting healthier? Will they get Shaquille Griffin back? Will the will uh, look? They can only go up statistically. So at some point, if they get healthy and play better, they will rise in those defensive rankings. But to me, I almost feel the opposite. This team is six and two. Like they even with this bad defense, imagine if it gets better, and imagine if it's just okay, what is this team going to look like? How scary is this team going to be? You have an MVP caliber player on the offense right now. You have DK Metcalf, who's a budding superstar. Tyler Lockett, who's as sure-handed receiver as anyone. You talked about the tight end group and how reliable they are. It, It just feels like this team has some of these pieces. Yes, they're hurt. Yes, they're they're not in the right spots and they're playing a little lax at times. And I will admit I've been frustrated by watching them play some of these zone defenses and allow the passes underneath and constantly allowing the passes underneath, but six and two in the NFL, it's tough to win games. And when you get that W you take it, especially as a Coug fan experiencing (laughs) the other side of not having those W's, you take that W you appreciate it. Yes, you can learn from it. Yes, you can get better. I'm not going to say this team doesn't have flaws. But to be where they are right now, like we just said, and next week we could be talking about a team that that has eight wins and is truly in the driver's seat in in the whole NFC. And that's a great place to be at the midway point in an NFL season. Absolutely, especially with teams like New Orleans, where it's clear that they're getting better and better with each week. Uh, yep. You know, you got to keep them at bay. You got to start swatting them away because if not, I mean this this conference, which was once yours pretty securely, 
Green Bay, they continue to win. New Orleans continues to win. you got to keep up with them uh, if you want to have a shot at that ever-so-important home field advantage because just one team gets that first-round bye this week. And as we know here in Seattle, if you're going to make it to the Super Bowl, that first-round bye and and having home field advantage, that is the route that you want to take if you're going to go to the Super Bowl. But coming up also in this hour, uh, in about 20 minutes from now, why this Mariners rebuild feels so much different than any other season of the last 20 years. Uh, that's coming your way in about 20 minutes. But up next, the Pac-12 somehow is going to get games off this weekend. Still not a full slate. We dive into whether or not this is all worth it for the Pac-12. Coming your way next, Seattle Sports Saturday on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. It's college football Saturday. Barely. Mm, I was going to say. Yeah. We're lucky to get any games in this Saturday. Uh, I believe 13 in total have been canceled or postponed. We've seen the SEC basically tack on another week to their regular season. They're going to be playing games all the way up until December 19th. Uh, They had four games canceled, I believe, or postponed, including Alabama LSU, which has been moved to that December 19th week if needed because I think that's also the same week as the SEC championship game. Uh, but that's the SEC. Let's the Pac-12 also uh, seeing a couple of games get canceled this week, but they were able to make up one of those, or they're hoping to make up one of those on Sunday. If you're still following, I applaud you because I'm getting confused just by saying everything I'm saying. But Taylor, two more games the Pac-12 canceled this week: Cal against ASU and Utah and UCLA. They were able to get the. They were able to take two of those teams that have been less impacted, so it would be UCLA and Cal. They're scheduled to play on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. from the Rose Bowl. It's just the hurdles that college conferences are having to jump through just to put games out there right now. I wonder... Is it even worth it at this point? Because the Pac-12 already is at a disadvantage playing a, a much shorter schedule than the rest of the country. And and now there's really nothing for them to play for in terms of bowls, in terms of national championships. What, what are we doing here? I, Curtis, it's a fantastic question. I think the only people who have the answers are scouts in the NFL, right? Because... What does this matter other than the audition for the next level, right? This is why they want them to play, right? The opportunity to prove themselves, of course, to win games, to go for anything like all of those great parts of college as well. But it's truly a job interview for the next level. Are you good enough to go on to the next level or not? And the people who make those decisions a majority of the time are the scouts who then tell the GMs, relay that information of what they saw to the GMs. So what are they looking for? How different is this year? Are they are, are they taking anything out of the games they're even seeing? Like, do do the games even matter to the scouts? Do they care what they see? Is it all going to be based on hype next year anyways? Then, then none of this matters, right? Other than just playing games and letting them be a part of the team and, and all of those great parts of college football. But as far as the 
results mattering and what happens on the field, it won't really matter. Yeah, and you bring up scouts. They're not even allowed in in some of these stadiums. I know they're not allowed in in Pac-12 stadiums. In fact, family and friends really aren't allowed in Pac-12 stadiums across the country. I know uh, at UW, that's not the case right now. It's just the players and coaches, and that's it, and, and the trainers. It's just the most essential personnel to get a football game going. And, I mean, for those kids that need the tape heading into their senior season, I know they they will be allowed an extra year of eligibility because of how insane 2020 has been, um, how insane putting this, this trying to put together this season has been in the first couple of weeks. Um, but it just it feels as though it's, it's just detrimental to these programs and to these teams. It feels like it's costing them more money to put a game on and and they're they're losing it on the back end the conference is losing it because they're not getting you know money from the TV networks or at least good money from the TV networks i i just don't quite get what the point is of this and i i know it, it, it's a great distraction for fans of of sports for college athletics uh you know civic pride i get that but there comes a point where it's got to reach a point of no return. And, and I, unfortunately for how bad the PAC 12 is, has handled all of this. It, it seems as though the PAC 12 is closest to that point of no return than any other conference where it's like, all right, we're, we're packing this up. We're going home. I, I hope that's not the case. I hope they're able to do this. Like I'm not rooting against them at all, but just based off of the decade of evidence with Larry Scott, uh, this is somebody that would gladly take his ball and go home. Yeah, and text from the 253, and similar to a famous he got game line, but the only thing that matters is green. The only thing that matters That's is true. money. Great text, great point. Where's the money coming in from? Because in college, they rely a lot on ticket gates. And, and that's why college football is such a big driver for a lot of these universities is they get a lot on the, t- the ticket revenue. A lot of that money is theirs. It's different in the NFL and MLB and some of these pro leagues because the TV deals actually are the big chunk of change. And those rights deals are actually where a, a big portion of that money comes from. So if those deals are in place, you can withstand losing some of that ticket gate and not having fans there and still being profitable. But are the are they being profitable, Curtis? You brought it up. Are they losing money on these games? Are they losing money on all these canceled games? Like we know that equipment was shipped to some of the cities last week and then had to be shipped back. What's what's that costing in a, 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 a university? It's it's puzzling to me. It's it's troubling because again, we just in the Pac-12 specifically, and we'll just stay there. It feels like we don't have a a captain at the ship that that's a rudder or a captainless boat, and we're just going where where the tide takes us. Because I have no faith in Larry Scott getting the money to help withstand this, because they can't get the TV deals done, they can't get these things done, and it just feels like it especially this year, it's going to cost the Pac-12 more than we anticipated. Yeah, it's going to be a huge bill they're going to have to pay. And uh, one thing that I just I can't get over is how we're two weeks into this 
college football season. Cal will have barely made it out alive through the first two weeks, having played a game that was not even on their schedule. Uh, they're going to play that on Sunday morning. You look at the Huskies yesterday, there were serious questions about whether or not Oregon State was going to be able to field a team. Uh, I'm reading the the Twitter account of Kyle Bonagura, who is a reporter for uh, ESPN.com. He was on with 710 ESPN actually earlier this week for Washington Wednesday. Um, he's saying that Cal's quarantine players will travel on the same flight as the rest of the team, but they will be in a separate section of the plane from the healthy players, uh, and they would travel to L.A. the day of the game. So they're going to travel, like, bright and early Sunday morning in order to get this game in. I mean, just the craziness of Cal being able to to put a, a team out on the field it's insanity is what it is and yet we're going to see we're going to see a game tomorrow but cal for whatever reason uh is going to have to go through all of this it just it is so bizarre uh we didn't find out about the husky game really if that was going to be played until yesterday afternoon uh i think the oregonian reported that oregon state had enough players to make the trip up here uh i think it, it, it's dangerous for these players to not know who they're going to prepare for uh, up until Friday. That that seems to me like it would be a huge detriment, not just to the safety of the players, but also to the, the product, the watchability of the game, uh, because you're just going off of basically 24 hours of knowledge of your opponent. It, it, it's I, I just I don't get why the Pac-12 is doing this or why they've done this to themselves because the only reason they've done this to themselves is because they did not schedule any sort of flexibility in this 2020 season. And, and it just feels like, again, no plan. There's no, no guidance from the conference, which is specifically the conference's job is to guide these organizations and these presidents into making the right decisions as a group effort. And there is just none of it. There's none of it. And it just, it gets tiring. I'm just tired every week. I'm 32. I feel like I've aged 40 years just from being a Pac-12 fan because of of all of the boneheaded decisions it feels like. And it just feels like we're kicking ourselves in our own face and, and thinking we're getting something out of it here. And it's just so disappointing that, again, Curtis, we got to talk about it every week. We had a segment last week. Look, we had four official press releases from the conference yesterday about games and COVID protocol and all that. Like, it, it is just going to continue and continue and continue until they call it or they get to the end of the season and it's been a, a, a bloodbath. Yeah, it, it's just – there. I just don't see why the Pac-12 is going through the trouble of this when there really isn't anything to play for in terms of postseason, uh, in terms of really anything. I mean, it's it's it gets tape out there. That's great. It gets these players an extra year of eligibility that they definitely deserve because of just how badly the conference and how badly the NCAA has really handled all of this. Because the NCAA, they're treating this with hands, you know, with with oven mitts. They're treating 
treating this as though, hey, not our problem. This is up to the conferences. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, but you're the governing body. You're the, the you're supposed to be in charge of all this. Uh, and yet, for whatever reason, they're just like, you know what? Not our fault. Not our problem. You guys fix this. And, you know, come on, Mark Emmert. Uh, you know, you're from Fife. I, 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 us- I usually have respect for people from Fife. They're, they're great people. Yeah. Two, five, three. He's a Fife dog. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He is. He, he's not the Fife dog, but he is a Fife no, dog. A Fife uh, dog. Yeah, but come on, Mark, get off, get out of your ivory tower and and do something about this. Uh, coming up in the next hour, we're going to get you a big three, including a college football scoreboard of the games that are going on, a historic move in Major League Baseball. And also a tradition unlike any other, in the words of Jim Nance. But up next, this Mariners rebuild feeling a little bit different than in years past. We'll tell you exactly why that is next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Taylor, I don't know about you, but feels a little different with the Mariners heading into the 2021 season than it, than it has in the course of the last two decades. We're heading into year 20 without the postseason, but I don't know if we have ever seen a, a wave of talent that is chomping at the bit that is ready to go since maybe that group in the early 90s that came together, the, the Edgars, the, the Griffies, the Buners, the A-Rods, those guys, when they all came together, which is by far the, the greatest collection of talent we've ever seen here with the Mariners. But, I mean, you look at this group that Seattle has coming, and, and, and that are, they already have, too. They've got a rookie of the year already in their lineup, and there's a chance he could be – I'm not going to say the worst of the the outfielders that they've got coming their way, but there could be even better players coming than what Kyle Lewis already is. And that's the craziest thing about this. Right. And on top of that, you got some of the pieces already there, Curtis. Look at the success, even just in the past few weeks, the Evan White and the JP Crawford being awarded the gold gloves as well. Like, that's different to have those young pieces winning these awards, right? The Mariners rebuilds of old. We remember seeing the big stars continue their success, right? The Adrian Beltres and the Canoes and the Cruises. They, they got theirs. But it was the young guys you never really saw take that next step, become Rookie of the Year, also win gold gloves. This is different. This is truly a different f- feeling, looking and now accomplishing young Mariners core. And you're right, Curtis, the, maybe the best part of all is there's young players coming up the next few years, not just next season, the next few years who are supposed to be equal, if not better than Kyle Lewis. It's, it's crazy to think about the amount of potential talent that is just residing in Tacoma, basically, uh, where the Mariners' alternate training site was this year. But Jared Kelnick, definitely we're going to see him next year. Julio Rodriguez, not quite sure if we're going to see him next year because he spent most of this year rehabbing that wrist injury. But I would definitely expect to see him in 22. Um, Those are are the two gems of the system. But it's not like it, it ends there. 
You've got plenty of pitching. Emerson Hancock, the first-round pick this year. George Kirby, the first-round pick a year ago. Uh, you've got also Taylor Trammell, who they got from the Padres. He's a top 50 prospect. They've got six top 100 prospects at the moment. And I get that there is so much fatigue from Mariners fans over the last two decades. Kind of like a, yeah, call me when this actually comes to, to fruition. Call me when any of this pans out. But over the last two decades, the Mariners haven't even come close to having a Rookie of the Year candidate at all, let alone somebody win it. This year they had Kyle Lewis, and they should have had Justice Sheffield among the Rookie of the Year finalists. But as Jerry DePoto pointed out in his interview with 710 earlier this week, people may have just forgot that he had rookie eligibility uh, because he's been around the game for, for like three or four years now in terms of, you know, in, in different uh, stints with the Yankees and now the Mariners. Um, but look at just look at this transition, Taylor, from the last couple of years to where the, the Mariners' farm system is now. In two years, the farm system went from the consensus worst in baseball, and it wasn't even close. They were the worst, and then there was a big chasm between them and 29th. Now, as of you know, the end of the season, MLB.com had the Mariners' farm system ranked fourth in the game. You go from worst by a lot to fourth in about two seasons. That is a tremendous feather in the cap of this front office and how they've been able to identify talent and not just identify talent, but also cultivate it and, and, and bring it up in this system in a way that we have not seen past GM and past front office regimes do in these 20 years. And I get that there's just so much fatigue, and, and it's like, why why buy into these guys right now? But I'll tell you, if you buy in right now, it's going to be so much more satisfactory when this Mariners team wins and wins big. Because, look, this has never happened here in Seattle. For as much as people want to say, oh, we're constantly rebuilding, no, that has not been the case at all. Yeah, and the 360, I think, with a perfect text here. Shout out the 360 here on the 710-710 Vizzy Hard Seltzer text line. This young M's team has talent, not just potential. Big difference. Totally agree. It cost you, right? It cost you some of that short-term success. You knew that the losses were going to be there and that some of those seasons were going to be not lost, but spent you know, taking some of those resources and reapplying them back into the farm system. But you're right, Curtis, think about the turnaround. And I I almost think we're underrating Jerry's job. We always make a joke about how he's wheeling and dealing and how many days between the deals and he's making deals from a hospital bed. And it it truly has, has paid off in two calendar years that this team now doesn't just have potential. They have talent in that farm system. They have talent at that major league level. And there's still some players finding their potential mixed into that as well. So, yeah, it's just one of those times. We haven't even mentioned some of the other names. Like, Justin Dunn showed some great promise this season as well, right? So, and Marte, Novelli Marte. I think that's how you saw it, right? Uh, uh, Noel V. Marte. uh, Noel V. Marte, pardon me. Another, yeah, great 3-6-0 is on fire today. Um, there's still a lot of this potential sprinkled in around the talent the Mariners truly have now. 
Uh, and you look at other teams in baseball that have taken this route the Mariners have over the last couple of seasons. I, I just want to look at teams over the last decade or so that have gone this route. You look at the Astros. I mean, obviously they they had some artificial help, you know, in their rebuild, but they put together an incredibly talented young core with Carlos Correa, Jose Altuve, George Springer. Those three guys were really the the guys for that organization uh, and helped springboard them into contention. But they didn't stop at just the young talent. They brought in a lot of free agents. They brought they made a lot of trades because their farm system was was so rich with talent that they could go out there and get guys like Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole and Zach Greinke, uh, all those those big-name players. You look at the Cubs. When they won the World Series in 2016, you had a young group of guys like Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant, Javi Baez, but they also were able to go out and sign John Lester and, and Jason Hayward and Ben Zobrist and all those players. Um, I look at the Braves, another team. You know, they get Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzy Albies. Those those two guys are going to be staples of that team for the next decade. But they also, you know, went out and got you know young players like Josh Donaldson, or not young players, I should say, veteran players like Josh Donaldson to help them out. Um, you know, the Padres, the the Mariners' hated rival. Oh, the Padres. Oh, the Actually, Padres. I mean, yeah, I don't know if anybody <laughs> has ever hated the Padres, but look at them. They did the same thing. They got Manny Machado and Eric Hosmer. They made the playoffs this year. Uh, the Mariners not only have put themselves in a position to – compete with young talent but also compete with big spenders because you look at their books in 2021 after this next season it's just going to be i think marco gonzalez on under contract and maybe you say kikuchi you got two guys that are making guaranteed money everybody else up for grabs i mean this is where you want to be if you're a team that is rebuilding and there's some big names available, right? We, we've heard the, the rumors of Trevor Bauer. We know that he works out up here sometimes in the offseason and has a place up here. And we saw what happened with Blake Snell, again, another local guy. What, what will be his ambitions to stay with Tampa Bay after what happened? And, you know, there's a lot of these big names that could be available, could be pieces to add. Like you said, Curtis, that's a great point that, Yes, they need these young players to do what they they're going to do, but also you got to get some of those big stars, difference makers to help lead this team and it feels like you're right, the Mariners are on the cusp of doing something special in that regard. Yeah, and uh I mean, get your you want to get in on the uh, early investments because the stock price is going to go up. Uh, it's yeah, like get a some jerseys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Get some of those jerseys, that Kyle Lewis jersey is going to be rad when you have that throwback Kyle Lewis mm-hmm. in a couple of years or that Justin Dunn. Get in, get Sheffield, Crawford, you know what I mean? Kellenick, if you want to be yeah. really early. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's exciting. I feel a different joy about talking about the Mariners than I have in some time. And it feels so great. And I'm so happy to have this feeling back around the baseball team. That is, uh, I mean, it's going to be a lot of fun, A, when fans are allowed back in the ballpark, just for being at the ballpark's sake. But then, B, 
I know. I want that too. I want to smell the garlic fries. I want to. I would just want uh, to be at the ballpark so bad. That's one thing. But then B, there's going to be a competitive team out there. There's going to be a really fun ball club to watch. Uh, and I mean, just that's going to be the coolest thing uh, once we're all able to to regather uh, as sports fans, as Mariners fans in this town. I'm I'm super hyped for it, and uh, you know. It's, it's coming, folks. It's coming, whether you're ready for it or not. Uh, coming up in the next hour, we take a trip around the NFL, look at some of the biggest games and headlines heading into this next week. But up next, we'll get you a big three. We'll get you an update on the Masters. We'll get you an update on college football going on right now. This is Seattle Sports Saturday.